Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have laboured over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Well... Today we're continuing our series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. And right throughout this letter, Paul's main message and possibly his sole purpose has been to remind the Galatians what the gospel is. Uh, that they became sons of God by faith. And so that they shouldn't be at all convinced by these people who we now call Judaizers, who have come into town and we're telling these, these new Christians that, hey, if you want to be a Christian... First of all, you have to become a Jew and so you have to keep all of our religious laws and regulations and circumcisions and all that sort of stuff. And we're more than halfway through this letter now and this has been Paul's messaging all the way through and it continues to be the messaging again today. Um, but there's only so many times I can give the same message over and over and over again. So today we're going to focus on five truths that come out of this, five truths that disciples of Jesus should know. The first truth is that our salvation and our status as sons of God, it isn't about how much we know, all right? Um, if it was, then it'd only be the academics amongst us who could ever be saved, and that's not me. Um, it's not about how much we know, it's about us being known by God. Now, at one time, these Christians that Paul's writing to in Galatia, at one time, before they became Christians, they were pagans. That means they didn't know the one true God. And so they worshipped a multitude or a pantheon of false gods. And in fact, Paul says that they were enslaved to them. But... In chapter 9, sorry, in verse 9, he sort of corrects himself. He says, but now that you have come to know God, and here comes the correction, and there's depth to this. Now that you have come to know God, 
or rather to be known by God. You see, we might have friends, we might have family members, we might be people that we know in the community, and they might be really nice sorts of people. And isn't it funny that people equate Christians as being nice? Well, we, they should. We should be nice. But sometimes when you see a really nice person, you ask the question, are they a Christian? And often the answer that comes is, well, I think they've got a bit of a belief in God. I'm pretty sure they believe in God. You know, as if that's something that's going to save them. You know, even the devil knows God. Even the devil believes in God. And yet he's destined for the pit of hell. And many, many people know God. Or at least they know about God. And, and they might even think that God's pretty good all right. But are they known by God? Let me give you an example. Um, In my mind, I went through the days, I think it might be 2002, but when I actually dug out the paper clipping, uh, on the paper clipping, it did say 2002. My apologies to any family members I may embarrass. Um, But it was the year that Queen Elizabeth came to visit Brisbane. And at that stage, I was at Bible College, and so our family were living in Brisbane at that stage. And I thought, right, well, here's the opportunity. We're going to go and visit the Queen. And so, actually, Robin wasn't that too enthused, but but I talked around, because Robin's family, I think, were less royalists and more, what what do you call? Sorry? Republicans. Is that the word? Anyway, I don't know. But anyway, I talked around and was, yep, we'll go. Come on, Robin, it's not that much effort. And then as an afterthought, we actually picked a few frangipani flowers off of the tree that was beside the house, wrapped a bit of alfoil around the stems, and away we went. We walked down to the bus station and caught the bus into the Roma Street parklands. Anyway, we, along with thousands of other people, lined this roped-off path that the Queen was going to take. And I think I had Ben on my shoulders, and Jake wiggled his way through towards the front, and there was an old lady there sitting in a wheelchair, and they said, look, if he wants to, when the Queen comes by, she's going to stand, so if he wants to get up and stand on the wheelchair, he can, and so he did. And um, now, we believed in the Queen, right? We wouldn't have gone there if, if we didn't believe in the Queen. We knew she was coming, and we went to meet her. And it just so happens that Jake got his face on, I don't know if it was the front page or the second page of the Courier Mail, and if you can see, can you pick Jake out in that in the little photo up there? Jake can tell which one he is, he's embarrassed, right? He got his photo, and what that photo didn't capture was that the Queen actually, while she was talking to somebody, reached over and took the flowers out of Jake's hand. Isn't that lovely? Everybody go, ah, ah, that's just lovely. Now, do we know the Queen? Sort of. But that's not what's important. What's important is if the Queen knows us, and I'm pretty sure that she doesn't. Uh, Unless she tunes into Bush Disciples messages every week, and hello, Queen, if you're listening today. Um, But it's a sad time for Queen Elizabeth at the moment. But if I was to go and knocking, knock on the door of Buckingham Palace, if I happened to be visiting London, and, and say, listen, I, I'd just like to visit um, Lizzie, 
Um, just let her know the Bromptons are here from St George in Queensland. Now, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't listen to us. I'd say, but I oh, know she knows us all right. We met her at, we, we went to see her at the Roma Street Parklands. Um, my son actually gave her some flowers and she wrote a letter to Robin's grandmother only a few months ago and because she turned 100. Now, I'm pretty sure that we wouldn't even get a look in. I'm pretty sure that the, the, the person who answers the door, well, I wouldn't get anywhere near the door, I'm sure, but they certainly wouldn't go and tell, look, there's a few crazy colonials wanting to talk to you. Now, if I know about God, or if I have some kind of belief in God, or if I think that I know God, that's not what counts. What counts is if God knows me. What counts is if we are known by God. Are we sons of God? Is the spirit of his son living inside of us? You see, as Christians, this is an intimate two-way relationship that we have. We are so close that, that Christ in us makes us cry out, Abba, Father. And God knows us because we are in Christ, his son, and his son is in us. And what an amazing and wonderful blessing it is to be known by God. And let's never, ever dumb it down by saying, oh, I think they have a sort of a faith. I'm pretty sure they believe there's a God, as if that's something that's going to save them. We need to be really upfront with people, and especially with the good people, the people that sort of, we think, gee, they'd make really good, they should be Christians, they behave like Christians, but do they know God? We need to be upfront with them and, and let them know that, hey, knowing about God, that doesn't cut it. And even thinking that God's pretty good or right, that doesn't cut it. It's about God counting us as one of his family. And so then we can share with them the blessing that we've experienced to be known by God. Right, so that's the first truth. Um, being known by God. The second truth that we encounter is the futility of religious observances, such as liturgical calendars, in the hope that by ticking all of the right religious boxes, we might be saved. So part of the old covenantal religious law that was getting pushed on to the Galatians was the liturgical calendar. Now, that's a fancy way of saying that they had all these different dates marked on their calendars. And so, oh, on this day, we'll have to do this feast. And on this day, we'll make these sacrifices. And on this day, there'll be a festival. And, and on this day, we'll have a fast. And, and if we do all of these things, then that's going to make God really happy. And strangely, some of this sort of thing has found its way into Christianity as well and the way that we practice it. So back in the day... When I was growing up at Gundawindi, um, most of you, sorry, the older ones of you, sorry, the more mature ones, will remember when we used to, in Australia, have the Church of England. You, you remember the Church of England? Uh, it's had a name change to the Anglican Church. Um, but of course, when it was a Church of England, it was just known as the C of E. And um, living, growing up in a country town, we thought C of E stood for Christmas and Easter uh, because... 
I know I went to school with a whole heap of kids and when it came time to break up for our RE lessons, uh, about most of the people would either go Roman Catholic or C of E and then a few of us would be something else. Um, but I noticed that most of the ones that, that went C of E, they, they really only ever went to church at Christmas or Easter. Um, years ago, I used to joke with a bloke who used to be in the church that I was a pastor of, and I told him that we got on well. And so I could tell him, you know what? You are our most regular church attender. Every Easter Sunday, you're here at church. Rain, hail, shine. You'll be here Easter Sunday. You are the most regular. Um, he was probably, he didn't get to church very often, only once a year, but it was very regular. It, but it's amazing, isn't it, that the number of people who will rarely go to church, but then they might eat fish on a good Friday. And for many ministers, what they wear is dictated by the calendar. Uh, some ministers will wear a scarf called a stole. I'm not sure why when a minister wears a staff it's called a stole. I don't know whether it's because ministers used to be poor and they'd have to steal them. I don't know. But depending on the season, that there's, <laughs> you got it. Uh, depending on the season, it, it would either be purple or white or green or red or black, apparently. I've, I've never seen a black one, but um, if you happen to be preaching on either Good Friday or Easter Saturday, those are the two days that you can legitimately wear a black scarf. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but if we slavishly do any of these things in the attitude that God's going to be more happy with me if I celebrate a certain date that's on the calendar, then I've lost the pot, plot. We've enslaved ourselves to what Paul calls the weak and elementary Sorry, the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. You see, when he says the elementary principles of the world, that's what he means is this is the first thoughts of the world when it comes to God. If you can tick all of the right religious boxes, then you're good to go. But Paul says that's enslaving yourself. That might be the first default position of the, of the world when, when it comes to God. But this is enslaving yourself. They're worthless. They're just empty religious observances and they're futile. Easter was only two weeks ago. At Easter, some people will go to church because it's the done thing. But I want you to ask yourself a question. Why do I go to church? Why do we go to church? Why do we worship? We gather together to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what the day is, but we do it because our hearts are filled with joy and we yearn to worship him and we yearn to worship him together. All right, let's move on. The third truth is that we can follow godly examples of others who are living by grace. You know, we've got what Paul calls the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, and they're tugging at us all the time. It's the worldly vain hope that we can save ourselves, or at least maybe we can help God out with our salvation. But Paul says, look at me. He says, brothers, I entreat you. That means I beg you, I implore you. 
become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Right now, how did that happen? At one time, Paul himself, his name used to be Saul. Paul was a Jew. Well, he still is a Jew. But at one time, he was the most fastidiously religious of Jews. He was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, they kept the law to the nth degree. Jesus used to poke fun at them. I know none of you probably like to think that Jesus was ever sarcastic or poked fun at anybody, but he did. That was a way that he used to communicate. And one time he poked fun at the Pharisees because they even tithed on their herbs that they put in their dinner. Can you imagine this, right? They're getting their dinner ready at night and... and um, Mrs. Pharisee says to Mr. Pharisee, can you, can you go out and pick some herbs from the garden and, and we'll pop it in the pot? And he says, oh, sure, what would you like? Oh, some mint, thanks. So he goes and picks some mint and uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten leaves. Oh, now, hang on. If I pick another one, that, that can go into the offering on Sunday. No, that won't be a tenth, that'll be an eleventh. All right, I won't pick that one. We'll put nine in the pot and one in the offering. You can imagine this, can't you? Now, that just completely gets away from the idea of tithing, um, of, of giving to God. But, but this is the way that they were so fastidious about keeping the law and the rules and the regulations. And Paul's saying, I left all that behind to live by grace. He once used to be that sort of person to keep every rule, every regulation to the nth degree. But he left all that behind for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow him and to live by grace. He says, I left all that behind to become as you are. But the thing is, and this is the thing that had Paul perplexed, now these Galatians were wanting to go back to what Paul once was. Paul understood what it meant to live by grace, not working for salvation, but living by the Spirit, where the righteousness of God oozes out of us because Christ lives in us. And it's good to have godly examples of those who live by grace. You know, sometimes when we're looking for godly examples, we just uh, look for... Sometimes we look for people who live by rules. Oh, if I can do everything right just as that person then that's a good godly example for me. Well, actually, a better godly example is someone who lives by the Spirit, um, someone who the, the Holy Spirit inside of us is changing us and making us more like Christ, that we can live as followers of Jesus in the grace of God. Righto, the fourth truth, and this one um, might come from a bit left field. Fourthly, Christians... Even good Christians get sick. Why would I ever need to tell you this? There is a, and I was going to say strange teaching, but I'm going to be much more blunt than that. There is a deceptive teaching around, and you've probably heard it, that Christians can never be sick. It's a teaching that says that it's God's will that all Christians should be healed all of the time. It's a teaching that says that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you cannot be sick. 
and you will be healed. And if you're not healed, then you either have got too much sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. That's silly, Paul. You obviously didn't get that memo. Or maybe Paul didn't have enough faith because Paul was crook. Uh, by the way, uh, for our international listeners, some people listen to this overseas, um, I've had international people say to me before, I don't know, what, what you talk about you Australians talking about crook? Is so-and-so crook? Is he, is he a criminal? No, no, not a crook. He is crook. It's our way of saying that somebody's sick, someone's ill. Uh, all right, so Paul was crook, not a crook. He was crook. Um, he said in verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Now, a fair bit of ink's been spilled over this um, with various theories that have arisen because we all want to know, oh, why was Paul sick? What was making him sick? What ailment did he have? Why was he crook? Some people think that the problem was with his eyes because he said, for I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Maybe it was an eye complaint. We don't know. Um, people also want to know, well, why did he end up in the region of Galatia? Well, we don't know. Maybe he was on his way through to somewhere else and as he was passing through Galatia, maybe that's where he got sick and so he had to stay there while he recuperated. We don't know. Or maybe some people's theory is that he was in the coastal regions and he got some disease there, probably something malarial or something, and then they, somebody else told him, well, you'll recuperate better if you head up into the region of Galatia up there. That's another theory, but we don't know. And that's the whole point. We do not know. And this side of glory, we won't know. But I tell you what we do know. We know that the Apostle Paul, a man of enormous faith, a man through whom God had done amazing miracles, and a man through whom God had healed others, this Apostle Paul was sick. Now, some people's theology can't handle that. Do you know why Paul was sick? Because Christians can get sick. And while in God's mercy, the Lord does miraculously heal some, he doesn't miraculously heal us all. Now, some preachers will reject outright what I just said. Um, but you know what? It's true, and I stand by it. And any sort of teaching that tells us that we should expect all people to be healed all of the time is more like wishful thinking. I've seen a few churches over the years that adopt that sort of teaching, and it's, it's really popular at the start. But then people start to realise, actually, it's not true. I'm getting fed all of this false hope. I'm being given these same promises week after week after week, but it's just not happening for me. My old sore knees are still old and sore. My asthma, some days it gets better, some days it's not so good, but it seems to fluctuate more with the seasons than what it does with the prayer. I'm still deaf in the one ear. Or my tooth still needs a filling. Or my friend's cancer is still growing. And no matter how much the promises get pumped out, 
And no matter how much um, the promises get propped up with claims that, that people have recovered from a cold in three days, that's a bit naughty saying things like that. But in the end, the truth of the matter is some are healed and some are not. Why? It's because our God is sovereign. He is king. It's up to God whom he heals and whom he doesn't heal. But, but still we rejoice and, and be glad because we will all be healed at the resurrection. When those who are in Christ are raised from the dead, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more disease. But until then, yes, we continue to pray for the sick and we do that here every Sunday. And we pray in the way that Jesus taught us and in the way that Jesus modelled. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And we rejoice in the mercy of God when God in his mercy does grant healing. And we also rejoice in the sovereignty of God when his will is for something other than healing. And this is where true faith really kicks in. Is your faith only big enough to believe in the things that you want? Or is your faith big enough to trust in God no matter what God does, no, what, no matter what God decides in his sovereignty? Something I've noticed is when guaranteed healing is what's promised, often that church will have a two-way door. There'll be those who arrive hoping for healing and there'll be those who are leaving because despite all of the hopes, despite all of the prayers, despite all of the faith, they haven't been healed. And the sad thing is, many of those people will never set foot in a church ever again. You know why? It's because they've experienced a lie, which means they haven't truly experienced Jesus. Because Jesus is truth. But even so, if the image that, that a church is chasing is to be a picture of health and wellness, it may actually be able to achieve that. Because the sick, the aged, and the, the infirmed who haven't been healed, they get to the stage they can't stand it anymore. And so they leave. And we're only left with the young and healthy so Christians, even good Christians, get sick. And the Christian church is the place for sick people to be. We minister to them, you see. We pray for them. We nurse them. We care for them. Did you notice the way the Galatian church cared for the Apostle Paul when he was incapacitated? He said in verse 14, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. He said, you would have torn out your own eyes and given to me, them to me if it was possible. They loved Paul that much. They cared for him. And that's what we do as the body of Christ, isn't it? When one of us is sick, we pray for them. 
We anoint them with oil. But we also practically care for each other. I know there's some ladies in this church and maybe some men um, who cook up meals. They're always cooking up meals and giving them to those who are in need or to those who are unwell. And you know what? God will use our sickness to be a witness for him. The whole reason that Paul preached to that Galatian church in the first place was because he was crook and he had to stay there. But even though at one time they had that sort of love for Paul, something changed. Paul said, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And so we come to the fifth truth. Beware of flattery. Verse 17, they make much of you but for no good purpose. Sometimes feels nice to be made much of, doesn't it? Verses 16 and 17 demonstrate a very sad reality. It's a tough job being a preacher, being a teacher, being a pastor of a church. See, there are times that I know that when I preach the truth, I know that some people are going to be offended. Um, I know that some people who might be listening online might go, oh, I don't like that, and they don't tune in anymore. And maybe some people who come to worship here decide, I'm not going to come to church if that's the sort of stuff we're going to have to listen to. Because it's not what they want to believe, and it's certainly not what they want to hear. I also know that, that there are some who only ever really want to feel good about themselves. Um, they don't want to hear any negativity. They only want to be affirmed. And their weakness is they want to feel special. They want to be made much of. And it's a natural craving of the heart, isn't it? We like it when we're made much of. You see, the state of the human heart is such that some of us want to feel really good about ourselves and never be challenged and never be told that we're wrong. And some crave to receive recognition, esteem, admiration. They want to feel honoured, appreciated, valued. And so they fall for the flatterer. I know a bloke, he ended up being a bit of a con man, at least that's the reputation he gained around town. But this fella, he has the ability, no matter who you are, when he meets you, within a few minutes of talking with you, you will feel like you are the most important person in his world. Um, he just has this way of, of making you feel so important and making you feel really good about yourself. Now, you do remember me saying he ended up being a bit of a con man. And some people fell for it. And others saw straight through it. Can you believe this guy? And the difference is that some people have the gift of discernment and others didn't. Proverbs 29 says, A man who flatters his neighbour spreads a net for his feet. 
Romans 16 says, I appeal, appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I'm pretty sure not one of us want to ever think that we're naive. Who, who, who's going to confess? Who's going to say, I'm naive? No, don't put your hand up. <laughs> we, none of us think that we're naive, at least very few of us. But if I fall, fall for a flatterer, that's exactly what I am. And so if there are people who are wise in the Christian faith, if there are people who are discerning, and if they have concerns about somebody that I really like, because they make me feel really special, maybe I should listen to those who have spiritual wisdom and discernment. Flattery is a very powerful form of manipulation. It makes us feel really good about ourselves, but for no good purpose. And here's an example here. By flattery, these false teachers had captivated the hearts of many of those who were in the Galatian churches. And they'd turned them against Paul. So here was Paul. Paul was the one who'd brought the gospel to them. Paul was the one who's now telling them the truth. And yet Paul could see that they were seeing him as, as their enemies. Why? Because Paul was continuing to uphold the truth. But they had been so captivated by the flatterers, they wouldn't tolerate Paul saying anything bad about them. And I've used the word captivated a couple of times, and it's the right word, because by flattery, they had been enslaved to a false gospel and enslaved to false teachers. And this really grieved Paul As a pastor, do you, know, do you know what grieves me most? It's when those who have come to faith in the true gospel of Jesus Christ are led astray into falsehood. And so I understand the grief that Paul's expressing here. It really tore at his heart. And the more that he tells them the truth, the more they don't want to hear it. But that can change, you know. And that's the whole purpose that Paul wrote that letter to the Galatians. To, this is the whole purpose of this letter that he wrote, to, to stop listening to the rubbish and return to the simple, pure gospel. And why wouldn't we? The gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing that is so simple and that's the beauty of it all what a wonderful wonderful thing to be the sons of god let's pray lord jesus christ we thank you that it is through you that we can be known by god what a wonderful privilege this is Lord, please forgive us for empty, worthless, religious observances that we've ever done. 
Forgive us for the times when we've done these things rather than having a genuine living relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for this gospel of grace. Help us to follow the examples of godly men and women who live by grace and who do it well. Lord, shortly we will pray for the sick. But Lord, help us to not pursue physical health as if that's the end to be attained. Give us the grace to, to pray for and to care for the long-term sick among us. Fill our hearts with the mercy that you have and help us to love one another, even when it's something that costs us and even when it's a burden to us as we carry one another's burdens in the name of Christ. And Lord, in times of sickness, help us to be a witness to you that our joy in Christ Jesus would overflow even in these times of pain and torment. And Lord, guard our hearts. Let us never be enslaved by the tongue of a flatterer. May we always love truth, reject lies, and never be manipulated away from your simple, pure gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.